Thank you for taking the time to listen to this sermon from Seekers Christian Fellowship. We believe that God's Word completes the believer, making them fully equipped men and women of God, ready for every good work. It is our prayer that through this message, you're challenged by the Word of God, built up in love for God and one another, conforming to the image of Jesus Christ. Good morning again, and I just want to welcome everyone this morning, and those who are in person here, and those who are joining us online. Um, I'm glad that you you were able to come together, uh, that we can worship together today. And I know that we began our new series on spiritual warfare last Sunday. We learned that as believers, we have been purchased with the precious blood of Christ, and that we are no longer the property of the evil one, but, but we are still in the battlefield. So that's what, you, that's what you learned last time. We spoke of three reasons why we are in the battlefield. We said, number one, because we are under the dominion of the devil, and we, fought, we saw in 2 Corinthians, it says, he is the God of this age. Number two, we found that because we, whoever desires to live a godly life, that you will suffer persecution. Number three, we found that because Jesus himself said that in this life, you will have tribulations. Three reasons, at least, why we we are in the battlefield. And we said that the spiritual warfare is inevitable. We are still in it. So we examined a passage that uh, we took from Ephesians chapter 6, and I would like you to turn in your Bibles... Ephesians chapter 6, we looked at verse number 10 last time. And it reads, finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and the power of his might. We took away three truths from this, that our source of our strength comes from a person, the Lord Jesus Christ. And it comes from a provision that the power of his might. Then we learn that it comes only when we are in him, when we are in him. I did mention that, you know, if you take a physically weak and feeble soldier, no matter what type of armor that you might put on him, he is still weak. So for us to be strong, we ought to be in him. So let us continue to read verse number 11 on Ephesians chapter 6. Paul writes this, Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. Let me read that again. Put on the full armor of God, put on the whole armor of God, that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. Now we will look at the source of our stability, the armor of God. That's what they are taking from this passage. This verse teaches us the glorious truth that it is possible for us to stand against the enemies who stand against God and against us. We can stand against the enemy. That's what they're learning here. We can take three things from this verse, and I, let me mention this to you first, and we'll break it down. Paul is telling us how we are attacked or how we are embattled. And in this verse, Paul is also telling us how we are equipped, that we are empowered. And also, Paul is telling us how we are enabled in this particular verse. Let me break it down for you. 
the first thing Paul tells us is how we are attacked or how we are embattled. Look at this verse again. It, Paul says, uses the phrase, the wiles of the devil. Wiles of the devil. This phrase identifies our enemy and how he works. That's what this particular phrase teaches us. So who is our enemy in the spiritual warfare? That's the question we ask. We are told that our enemy is the devil. According to the Bible, we see that the devil is the source of evil. Sin first uncovered this dagger in the heart of the creature known as Lucifer. Now, Lucifer determined that he would be God and that he would exalt himself above the throne of the one and true God. Look at this passage in, in Isaiah about the devil Prophet Isaiah penned it so well. This is what, what happened. He says, For you have said in your heart, talking to Lucifer, I will ascend into heaven. I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. I will also sit on the mount of the congregation, on the farthest sides of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. And look at the last one. I will be like the Most High. Lucifer saying, I will be like the Most High. But Satan was defeated and cast out of heaven along with one-third of the angels. And we see that in the book of Isaiah and in the book of Hebrews. Those fallen angels, church, are demons. And Satan still does all he can to dethrone God and to rob God of his glory. So as we go through the scriptures, if you study, it gives us a good description of who this schemer is. I'm just going to quickly show you something. We don't need to go read everything. These are all taken from different passages of scriptures in the Bible. How this devil is described in this passage. It's anointed guardian cherub, the prince of demons, the god of this world, and the prince of the power of the air. And the list goes on. It perverts God's word, hinders God's servant, hinders the gospel, snares the righteous, holds the power in his power, holds the world in his power. This is who the devil is. So we cannot belittle this individual or this person, the devil, of his power. Well, we know that the enemy is devil. Then the next question is that, how does he work? How does he work? So Paul uses the term here, look at this passage again, against the wiles of the devil. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. The Greek word is methodia, which really means his cunning arts or deceit or craft or trickery. That's what this word means. So the technique that the devil employs is to deceive the people of God. To deceive the people of God. And we see that in the scriptures. Peter writes, see what Peter writes about the devil. He said, be sober, be, be, be vigilant because your adversary, the devil, walks about like a roaring lion looking for seeing, seeking whom he may devour. 
That's how, that's how Peter describes this devil. See what James, what James says about this devil. But each one is tempted, talking about every one of us, when he's drawn away by his own desires and enticed. It's slowly, gradually taking you away by deception. That's what you're seeing here. So it begs the question, church, how does he deceive us? You might say, okay, pastor, I, I, I heard it. How does he really deceive me? There are at least three ways I can think of, and you can think of many other ways. I want to make it a very practical lesson for every one of us. Firstly, he deceives us by casting doubt on the Word of God. That's the first thing he does. He will tell us the truth is a lie and lies are truth. He will introduce you to a false doctrine. And that's exactly what he did in the Garden of Eden. Look at this passage. Now the serpent was more cunning than any beast, use the word cunning there, than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, what did he say? Has God indeed said? Cast a doubt. Are you sure this is what God told you? And then we read in, uh, in, in verse number 4, Then the serpent said to the woman, You will surely not die. The Lord has said you will die, and Satan is placing a seed of doubt. This is how Satan operates. How, how does he deceive us? First thing is to cast doubt on the word of God. Secondly, listen carefully, church, he deceives us by lying to us about the consequences of sin. About the consequences of sin. I want you to see how Jesus spoke of the devil. See, listen, look at this passage. This Jesus himself saying, you are of your father the devil, so Jesus is saying about the Pharisees, you are of your father the devil, and he says, and the desires of your father you want to do, he was a murderer from the beginning, talking about the father, and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him, in whom? In the father, the devil. And he says, when he speaks a lie, he speaks from his own resources, for he is a liar and the father of it. So how does he trick you? For instance, he will tell you, church, pay attention that it's okay to experiment with some drugs. Devil can tell you. It's okay. It can plant seeds of doubts in your mind. It can tell you, you know, didn't Jesus turn water into wine? You can drink in moderation. And, or Satan may say some of these practices were only applicable to the first century Greco-Roman world and is not true for the 21st century because the culture has changed. It's not applicable to us today. And many Christians have fallen for this trick. Church, please listen carefully. If there is an issue or an item in your life or, an, 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 or a behavior of your life if there is an iota of doubt in your mind, run from it. Run from it. Because we have been called to live above reproach. 
Paul says this, we should avoid all appearance of evil. Look at this passage again. Abstain from all appearance of evil. And why? And you see, it goes on to say, and the very God of peace sanctify you holy, and I pray God your whole spirit and soul and body be preserved blameless unto the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. So I looked at two things. By casting doubt on the word of God, by lying to us, and the third thing that the devil does, he deceives us by causing us to think that we achieve salvation or victory on our own merit. That's the third way that he plants that seed of uh, deceives us. He will cause you to say that, you know, as long as you are good, that's good enough for the Lord. You can be saved. You try and earn your salvation through good works and self-righteousness. He will cause us to think that we can do it on our own. He will cause you to believe good things and trust those good things to save your soul. Church, that's what he did to Eve. Look at this passage here. In Genesis chapter 3, verse 6. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and it was pleasant to the eyes, and a tree desirable to make one wise. So in other words, the woman saw the tree was good for food, and not only that, it was pleasant to the eyes. Number three, a tree desirable to make one wise. That's what you're seeing here. See how he caused someone to believe that the good things would save you. So, so far in this verse, Paul tells us how we are embattled or attacked, that the enemy is the devil and the scheme is by deception. Now let's keep reading verse number 11 again, how we are equipped. Paul says, put on the whole armor of God. That's what Paul says here. So God has equipped us for the spiritual battles we face by giving us his armor. And I know this armor is listed in verses 14 to 17, and we are going to look at all that in the weeks to come. But we'll learn what it is and, and when you wear these things. But let us examine this particular phrase when Paul says, put on the armor of God. So put on, when somebody comes and tells you put on, the question you ask is, when and what? When do you put on and what do you put on? The, this term put on is actually suggests permanence. It's lifelong attire. It's not something that you put on today and take off tomorrow. You know, we, we only know about the past, present, and the future tense. Those are the three tenses that we all know. But there's another tense called the aorist tense, which is a continuous thing, which is a lifelong attire. That's what he's talking about. Be constantly dressed for spiritual warfare. So what do you put on? Then he says, full armor. The whole armor. That's what you have been called to put. Not one armor alone, but everything we need to put on. That's what you are seeing in this passage. And when we do that, we will walk in victory. So the word whole suggests every piece of the armor of God is essential for our victory over the enemy. Every piece of it. We can't put on a few pieces and leave a few pieces off and expect to achieve success. 
We must wear every piece all the time, church. And if we do not, we'll be attacked and we'll be defeated. So we put on once and for all the whole armor of God. So remember, church, we are to be constantly dressed for spiritual warfare. Every moment of your life, there are no days off in this war. There are no vacations in this particular battle. Every day is to be spent on the front lines of battle, engaging with the enemy in vital spiritual combat. So in this particular verse, we looked at two things so far. How are we embattled? How are we attacked? We saw it was the devil, and he, he does it by deception. And secondly, we saw how are we equipped, he says, to put on the whole armor of God. Thirdly, in this, in this verse, we see how we are enabled. Look at this passage again. That we may be able to stand against. So why should you put on the armor of God? So that you, can, you are able to stand. Not through our own power, but through the work of God in our lives. The ability to stand is only given by God. To hold a critical position during a time of enemy attack. Is the image of a soldier, picture yourself as a soldier, you are refusing to yield one inch of ground to an attacking foe. There is an attack on you, but you are refusing to move. That's what stand, you are able to stand against the wilds means. It's not you are offending, but you are defending your position. It is not the image of someone on an offensive, but it's defensive. You have already, the battle is won, you are standing and holding the ground. That's what Paul is talking about. So in this verse number 11, we looked at three things, church. How we are attacked, it's the devil and the deception. How we are equipped, the whole armor of God. And how we are enabled, to stand against the attack. Let's move on to verse 12 now. Paul writes, For we do not wrestle against the flesh and blood. I'm going to read the whole thing. We are going to go through that word by word. So as you look at this particular verse, number 12, what Paul is telling us or teaching us, let me give you the big picture, who our enemy is and who our enemy is not. That's what you're seeing in verse number 12. Let's break it down. Paul starts by saying for. The word for reminds us why we must wear the whole armor of God. If you are to be successful in the battles of life, the very nature of the enemies we face among the way require we face them in God's power, not in our own strength. That's what you're seeing here. The word wrestle that you see here in this, look at this word wrestle, in Paul's days, there was only one rule to winning a Greco-Roman wrestling. I didn't know that till I did my research. The only way to win in ancient wrestling is to stay on your feet. The victor is able to hold his opponent down with his hand on his neck. So to stand firm, that's how you, you are declared as the victor. That you're able to stand firm, having the opponent down with your hand upon his neck. So, so Paul tells us first that who our enemy is not in this passage. Look at this again. He says, we do not... Sorry, just give me one minute. 
we do not wrestle against flesh and blood. Church, this is a very important lesson for us to learn. Our enemy is not another human being. It is a surprise, isn't it? I don't like so-and-so. So-and-so is attacking me. I hate this person. I don't want to talk to this person. But the Bible says, they are not your enemy. But the evil, the devil uses them to distract us from walking with God. People hurt us. People will lie to us. They are mean to us. They do wrong thing to us. But that does not make them the enemy. People may be doing the work of the enemy, but they are not the enemy. People may, may want to see our destruction, but still they are not our enemy. People may hate us, but they are not our enemy. Our enemy is the devil, as we already saw, and all the spiritual forces he controls. So the enemy is never another human. One of the greatest tricks of the devil is to focus our attention on other people and on what they do to us. So devil is actually using this to distract us from walking with the Lord so that our attention is taken off everybody else and our attention is focused on someone other than myself. When we take that bait and focus our attention on what people do, church, we lose sight of Jesus Christ and the will of God. When that happens, the enemy wins the battle and we are defeated. When we fight one another, please listen carefully, Satan simply takes what he wants because we are not in a position to stand against him. We give up the high ground of love and grace in action because I'm angry with somebody. I want to, I want to, be, I want to take, be equal with that person and put that person down. We shed the armor of God and we start to walk in the flesh. And when we do that, we tell everyone who sees us that the gospel is a lie by our behavior. We always lose and Satan always wins. So who are the enemies that we are fighting against? You might ask, Pastor. If it is not the person that I don't like, the person who is causing me so much grief, then who are my enemies? Now Paul beautifully gives us at least four or five different types of enemies in this passage. Look at this again with me. Number one, he says, for we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities. What does the term principalities mean? Now, the Greek meaning, Greek word, the meaning of that is that it means a leader or a chief or ruler, the first person. That's what it means. Now, what that also means is that the executive authority or governmental rule in the world that oppose the truth of God. So government authority that opposes the truth of God is what Paul is referring to here as principalities. That's what Paul is referring to here. Now, secondly, he says, not only principalities, but powers. What does that mean? The word power, it shall be derived or conferred authority, is, is, is defined this way, is delegated influences of control. 
delegated influences of control. So how do you bring it related to our day-to-day -day living? The fruits of this type of evil can probably be seen in these areas. One of the commentators write, drug cartels, gross poverty, plagues, terrorism, and other heinous crimes against humanity. That's what this word powers mean. Next, he says, the rulers of the darkness of age. Now, this word meaning is the Lord of the world or prince of this age. So this means the world rulers with magic and demonic pagan gods. The great example is the Ephesians Artemis and seems to be in line with the pagan culture of ancient times in which temples were dedicated to these demonic pagan deities. That's what it means, the, the rulers of the darkness of this age. And finally in this he says, against the spiritual hosts of wickedness. What does Paul mean by that? It means depravity and iniquity and wickedness. It is a desire to harm others or to see others suffer is an extreme ill will or spite without just cause or a reason to commit a wrongful act that will result in harm to one another. That's what it means here. So Paul identifies the enemy as the principalities, the powers, the rulers of the darkness of this age, spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly realm. So you obviously will ask the question, Pastor, how is this attack manifested in our lives? I heard all this. But how are these attacks manifested in our lives? And how do we know that we are engaged in a warfare? It doesn't matter about, about all these big terms that we are studying if we can't bring it down to our day-to-day -day living, isn't it? Great question to ask. And there are at least five examples I want to give you that will tell you that you are under spiritual attack, warfare, taken from the scriptures. Number one is that it's a sudden or extreme onslaught of various troubles and losses and trials in your life. This is a ruthless attack that Satan often brings against believers it seems to come out of nowhere and it's just one thing after the other. You feel your life is suddenly spinning out of control. A great example that we find in the scriptures is Job. Everything was going well for Job. And here was God, he had a con conversation with the devil in Job chapter 1. Where have you come from? Roaming back and forth. And God asked him, do you know my servant Job, who is upright, who is blameless? You know what the devil said? Take the guard off and see what he's going to do. And after that, the whole book of Job, it talks about these struggles. It is an enemy's attack. So this is the first thing that we see. If you, are, if you know that you are under the attack, that if you have a sudden or extreme onslaught of various troubles and losses and trials, the second one that you see here is the attacks of 
of physical nature is danger, illness, or life-threatening. Again, we find in the Job is a great example for that. The result of satanic attack on Job ended up in illness and life-threatening experiences that he went through. We know from God's word that the enemy wants nothing more than to steal, kill, and destroy, isn't it? He's like a thief, a roaring lion, preys on God's people, and he desires to silence our voices and take us out of the world and off the light of God's love and the hope of Christ that we have. So that is the second way that we'll know that we are under spiritual attack. And the third way that we'll know under spiritual attack is increased temptation and luring towards sin and wrong choices. Jesus himself was a great example for that, isn't it? When he confronted the devil, the devil was trying his best to put forward wrong choices. That's the third thing that we find. And the fourth thing that we find is the feelings of overwhelming despair, darkness, and fear. Elijah is a great example. We are looking at Elijah and the, and the prophet. He was a great man of God. He led a battle against the false idols and resisted those who stood against God. In everyone's eyes, Elijah was a hero and respected and honored. And all of a sudden, we say, just after that, such a great victory and success, he faced extreme warfare. That's what you're saying. He ran for his life. The very man who stood and fought the battle, he ran for his life. That's what the Bible says. Despair and darkness has gripped his life. He couldn't even think straight. It seemed that he had forgotten everything God has done. We read that whole story in 1 Kings chapter 19. So that's the fourth one. And the last one that you see here is deep confusion. Feelings of condemnation and guilt and dulled spiritual awareness. Come along with me, please. This is a very important point, and we know that we are under spiritual attack. It's a slow, constant pulling away from God's truth. It will leave us feeling confused and irritated and conflicted and facing generalized feelings of guilt and condemnation. You know, we have lost our desire to even press in and pray. There's no appetite for the Word of God. There's no desire for fellowship with believers. That's a satanic attack. Because God reminds us, and we see it in 1 Corinthians 14, God is not the author of confusion, but peace. So if you have lost peace, it is from the devil. So church, John Piper, I, I, I love his writings, I did my research, and, and, and John Piper said, what dulls your appetite for God? I want you to read this. Sin takes the gifts. Come along with me, please. Good things. Good things. Gifts are good things. And responsibilities. Good things. Good things. God has given to us. We did not take it, God, in His mercy and grace, He gave it to us. And, sadly, they become the obstacle for avoiding God. Every one of us here, including myself, are guilty of this. 
Let me explain this to you. I am in desperate need of a job. I am here at the altar. I'm saying, can you pray? Pastor, can you pray? Elders, can you pray? Every Tom, Dick, and Harry, we're asking them to pray, 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 pray. And God in his mercy gives you a job. A well-paid job. Now all of a sudden, Pastor, I can't come because I have got to work. I can't come on a Sunday because that's the day I need to take a break. I can't come on a Saturday because that's the day I cook. Why? Because I worked five days. When you didn't have a job, you are able to work for God every single day. Who gave you the job? It's a gift that was given by God. The responsibility is given by God. The very thing that God gave out of His mercy have become obstacles that creates the dullness for the appetite of God. That's a form of spiritual warfare. So if you sense that, oh my goodness, you know, I don't have time for God for a Thursday prayer, or for a women's conference that we had yesterday, or for a Sunday service, there is a problem. I am not mincing my word. I am not going to apologize for what I am saying. Because that is the truth, church. You're on your knees crying out, God, come to me, help me, help me, help me. And God helps you and gives you a new life, and you say, I am busy for God. That's what John Piper is telling here. Sin takes gifts, good things, and responsibilities, good things, God has given to us and makes them excuses for avoiding God. That is a spiritual attack. If it is you, know that you are under spiritual warfare and you are being attacked. Final exhortation. Let's move on to verse number 13. Therefore, Paul says, Take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand. Take up the whole armor of God. We studied that Paul again emphasized the necessity of the Christians appropriating God's full spiritual armor by obedience in taking it up and putting it on. Paul simply states what the main purpose of spiritual warfare and the armor of God is. Look at this. He says, in the evil day. So some of you might say, Pastor, the evil days have not come to me. I'll wear it when the evil day come. But let me tell you, church, since the fall of man, every day has been evil. Every single day has been evil. That condition that will persist until the Lord returns until he establishes his own righteous kingdom on earth. So that means that when, he, when Paul says that to withstand in the evil day, he's talking about today, he's talking about yesterday, he's talking about tomorrow. Every single day of your life. And then he says in the last one, he's having, I'm sorry, having done all to stand. Standing firm against the enemy without wavering of, Falling in the, in, is the goal. So God has given us a call, a mission, a course to fulfill. Satan will do his best to stop it, church. When he attacks, 
and intimidates, we are to stand firm. You know, let me conclude with this. Jesus, while he was on the earth, he was not patrolling around and looking for demons to conquer. He was not doing that. But when satanic opposition raised itself, Jesus stood against it. And he was not moved. So God gives the Christian a glorious standing to maintain by faith and spiritual warfare. So in conclusion, this is what I want to leave with you today. What we learn is it means that we are going to be attacked, every one of us. No one is exempted from that. It means that we must not be frightened. It means that we must be at our position and be alert. It means that we do not give enough, even a thought of to resist, to retreat. It means that we put on the full armor of God and stand firm, knowing that the battle is already won on the cross. You know, church, if you are to fight the battle, most likely you might lose. Because when we are in the enemy attack, always remember you're fighting from the victor's end. You're fighting from the victor's end. The battle is already won. You don't have to do anything. Put on the whole armor of God and stand firm. God bless you. God be with you. Worship team, would you come? Can I ask the congregation rise as I close in prayer, please? Let us pray. Father, we thank you for this beautiful day that you gave us. Thank you that we are able to come and, and, and listen to this passage being expounded today. And even as we learn of God, we know that the, the source of our strength is you. It is the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. And, and by your provision, your might and strength. And we can only get it when we are in Christ. Then we learn that the, the schemes of the devil who, 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 who is there to attack us. But you have equipped us and you have enabled us. You have given us the whole armor of God and you have spelt out who our enemy is and enemy is not. And I pray in Jesus' name that we, every one of us here in this congregation and those who are listening to this message, that we as believers, when we are in him, we know that we are fighting from the victor's end. And all we would do is to put on the full armor of God and to stand firm. So help us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen.